You're listening to You've Been Hanged, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. On this episode of You've Been Hanked, I want to talk about masonry. For my brethren out there, why are you masons? And for my friends who aren't yet masons, why aren't you? Is there a place for women and boys and girls in masonry? What kind of projects do masons work on to make themselves and the world around them better? We're going to talk about this and much more. I hope you'll stick with me to the end and answer a lot of questions. Why are you a mason? Do you ever think about it? Surely at some point you did, even if you don't now. What brought you to that door? What drove you to knock, seeking entrance into our ancient fraternity? Was it a desire for secret knowledge? Or a yearning to be a part of a community, something greater than you yourself? What sparked your interest? Was your father a mason or your grandfather did you or someone you love benefit from Masonic Charities, Scottish Rite Hospital in Dallas, or one of the language care centers? What is it that planted the seed in your mind? What event or truth lit that fire, provided the spark that made you want to step onto the Masonic path of enlightenment? I was at an event recently. There were Masons there and non-Masons. It was it was a good evening. When it was all said and done, refreshments were served. We were fixing our plates, fellowship and talking at one of the tables. I was putting some food on my plate. The tables were round and more or less had the same thing. There were sandwiches and fruit and crackers and cheese. Everyone just sort of coming and going and getting what they liked. And it became evident to me at one point that a gentleman there, a little older than me, but no means ancient in years, seemed to think that perhaps I had cut in front of him. I'm a lot of things. I'm not a jerk on purpose, occasionally an accidental jerk, but who wouldn't? When I realized that maybe he thought I had done something that he didn't appreciate, I tried to motion for him to take my place and told him I begged his pardon. He spoke to me unkindly. That's okay. I'm a big boy. I got thick skin, broad shoulders. If that's the worst thing that happens, going to be a good day, any given day. When the meal was concluded, I wanted to follow up with him and just again express that if I had given any offense, I regretted it. And I looked for him, but I couldn't find him. I asked some folks if they had seen a man who met the description that I gave them. Nobody did. Why are you looking for him? And I told them, and <laughs> some of the brethren rolled their eyes and said, oh, well, he's probably not one of us if he reacted that way. He probably wasn't. And the fact is, is one of the things that distinguishes Masons is their kindness for each other. The brotherly love and affection that mark us for who we are. There is very little of that sort of nonsense. Certainly gratuitous. Not to say that we're perfect. We certainly aren't. A lot of times brothers disagree. But there's very, very little of that sort of incidental rudeness that just takes place at random. Thank goodness. There's enough of that in the world without masons doing it to each other i remember years ago decades ago now i was thinking of trying to find out how to become a mason 
I wanted to be a part of something greater than myself, to a world that seemed to elude me, something that existed from the mists of antiquity, something outside of my faith alone. My faith is a wonderful thing. It helps me know where I come from and who I am and where I'm going, but I wanted something, something else, a connection to days gone by that I didn't seem to have. And I knew that though neither my father nor my grandfathers were Masons. The family's lore strongly suggested that my great-grandfathers were Masons. And I yearned for a connection with them, something that I didn't have, something that I wanted very much. Did a little research and found out where the local Masonic Lodge was. Knocked on the door. Showed up for dinner before a meeting, fellowship. Introduced myself. Met the men who were there. Spent some time getting to know them. Came back. Ate more meals. Lots of beef stew served in Texas lodges. Before long, I was initiated a member. Eventually, I was a Master Mason. It's a fine thing to be a Master Mason. The world seems more beautiful, larger. The universe around us, more relatable. Antiquity, still vast, but not quite as impenetrable as before. Understanding, as a result of careful, thoughtful, and ancient instruction, made things clearer and brought into focus what had once been mysterious. Suddenly, a world full of strangers resolved into a world where brothers known and unknown were everywhere. Friends, as yet unmade, waited to be made all around me. One of the things that I really loved about my East Texas Lodge were those older Masons who taught us young fellers. <laughs> they weren't particularly refined or sophisticated in a worldly way, but their dedication to our gentle craft, their understanding of masonry, and their willingness, enthusiasm even, to pass on what had been given to them made me love them and admire them and respect them. I hope that I'm living up to their expectations for me. Eventually, I joined the Shriners there in beautiful East Texas. The thing that perhaps above all else that I loved about the Shrine was that every month we put on a blood drive and the lodges from all over the region would come together and would meet in a particular parking lot there in beautiful. And the Shrine had a great big grill on wheels. It was a, a, a trailer. It didn't have to be put on a trailer. It was a trailer. You pull it behind a truck and it was had its own tandem axle. You cook a lot of food on that big old grill, and we did. We fed every single man, woman, and child that came to give blood at that blood drive, and every month it was it was a tremendous success. There was a great outpouring of love manifested in the form of people giving the thing that literally kept them alive, their blood, to be taken down and used at the Shriners Hospital over in Shreveport, Louisiana. Everybody that came, we fed hamburgers, cheeseburgers, hot dogs, chili dogs, all the fixings. And they weren't the uh, the nasty, tasteless ones. This was the good stuff. These were good hamburgers. Big, great big ham. Not them little bitty nickel size affairs. These were the great big ones. It's so tasty. There was an old man. He was a wizened feller. Old as the hills. White hair. And about half fussy. And when I say half fussy... He was really all the way fussy, but because, you know, he's a brother, you want to cut him a little slack. Oh, he was a fussy little feller. But devoted to that blood drive and devoted and dedicated in giving his time freely. I won't say without complaint because he complained about everything he could think of to talk about. But he gave of himself ceaselessly, endlessly, tirelessly. This man provided his time and his labor consistently 
and set an example that was worthy of emulation in every aspect except for his complaining because, my goodness, he really was. He really was fussy. If you could get past that, there was something sweet about it, something kind, something wonderful. That was just his way. He wasn't mean. He just fussed. He complained about everything, but he wasn't mean. He wasn't cruel. Ooh, but he was fussy. And he would stand at that grill, and he would fuss about the heat. And he would fuss about the, there was too much smoke one minute, there wasn't enough smoke the next minute, and why wasn't somebody chopping him onions and him tomatoes, and did he have to do everything himself? And meanwhile, he really was working hard. He, he was giving constantly. And in his way, he was, in his <laughs> tyrannical slash brotherly love and affection slash, uh, he was overseeing the production of food. And to every person that came up to give blood, as soon as they got within, you know, a, a certain range, something in him changed. And he greeted every one of them kindly and generously and wanted to make them understand that there was food there for them and that he appreciated, he personally appreciated them being there. And when they came off that bus, because we had uh, the American Red Cross come out with a bus, not not a little van, not it, it was a great big bus with several beds, and, and it was in use constantly for four-hour window that we would be there. It was in constant use. People standing outside in the line. We had chairs set up out there and picnic tables set up out there for people to sit and eat. And he wanted everybody, not just to eat, he wanted them to eat until they were satisfied. He wanted, did you get some chips? Did you get some chips that you like? No, no, you don't. Are you sure you want want those chips because look here look we got some there's some nacho cheese are you sure you don't want the nacho cheese it was solicitous and kind to every person that came to give the thing that kept them alive for the sake of those kids over at the Shriners Hospital in Shreveport. He would fuss about the weather. He would fuss about the heat. He'd fuss about the cold. It was too windy. It wasn't windy enough. How are we going to have a fire if we got a little breeze? Oh, he'd carry on and on and on. But when it came to the people who were giving their blood, he showed them such love. And despite his being fussy, he wasn't a mean guy. He was a nice guy. I watched this old man time and again. He would talk to the new Shriners, the fellas that had come in from the lodges and just joined the shrine. And what size hat do you wear, brother? And they'd tell him and he'd say, now, listen, I'm, these fezzes can be a little expensive. And if you want to get you a brand new one and have it decked out just the way you want to, that's fine. He said, but now sometimes these guys come in here and you know, maybe they're trying to find their footing and they buying a fez right now isn't the best thing for them. And you know, a lot of times when one of our brothers dies, the widows will give me their fez to hang on to until somebody needs it. You think you might benefit from having a fez that I had? Let me show you some of these that I've got. And a lot of times the guys say, oh, no, no, that's not necessary. Thank you. And then sometimes very quietly, yeah, yeah, I would. I'd really appreciate that. Well, you come on over here. Let's look at some of these. And by the way, I've, I've got one of these camel pins that you can attach to the tassel and, and attach, make it look real nice and attach it to the side of your hat. He said, yeah, let's get one of these. Look at, look at here. The, these cubic zirconians. That's, that's, now, look how nice. Look at how that shines and sparkles. Oh, yeah, that looks real good on you, bro. That looks that's so nice. You're going to fit right in. And he'd make you feel wonderfully well. Complained all the time about inconsequential things. But then, on the other hand, made people feel really good about just being there, about giving of themselves. And he gave of himself constantly. I never asked him, and I, I wish that I, I was about half scared of him, if I'm honest, but I wish that I'd asked him, Brother, why did you become a Mason? What is it that interested you? What tugged at your inner being in such a way that made you come knock on the door to Freemasonry? 
and then to spend your time learning the things you would need to learn, doing the things that you would need to do in order to become one of us. What was it? I should have asked him. I can't even remember his name now. This is nearly 20, 25 years ago. I, I can't remember. I'm embarrassed that I can't remember his name. I wish that I could remember his name. And I certainly don't know the answer to that question or any of his story except what I saw myself. And what I saw myself was a man who gave of himself endlessly, tirelessly. Can't say uncomplainingly, because my goodness, did he fuss and complain about everything under the sun and everything else that you could think of. But as he did so, he did so with a heart that could only be described as full of charity. He would complain about dumb stuff, but not about people. No, when it came to people, the only thing I can remember him ever doing was kindness. And the only attributes that I could properly ascribe to him were brotherly love, affection, faith, hope, and charity. He'd run that grill for hours and hours. He'd chop vegetables, serve sodas and water, and laugh and talk and guide and point the way and answer questions. And he'd give balloons to the little children and sometimes to the pretty girls who weren't really children at all. It's kind of funny that way, too. And he would just twinkle and sparkle like a star in the heavens, the kind of star that you like to look at and make a wish on. He was a good man. You had to get past that fussy part of him sometimes to see it. But he was a good man. He was a good mason. His story is worthy of remembering. I wish I knew why he'd come to the order. Why did you, why are you a Mason? And if you're not a Mason, why not? You know how? Well, if you want to be a Mason, you have to ask one. To be one, ask one. If you're interested, if you're looking to be a part of something greater than yourself, go find a Mason in your community and get to know him. Talk to him about the fraternity that he loves so well. Tell him that you'd like to be a part of it too. Some people think that you have to be invited. <laughs> You'll never be invited. And if you are, you should probably take a pass on it because it's inappropriate to invite someone. Others think you have to be kin to a Mason, either your father, your brother, your grandfather, or something like that. That's not the case either. To be a Mason, you have to believe in a supreme being. Nobody really cares what that supreme being is. Whether you're a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian or a Hindu or a Buddhist, it doesn't matter. So long as... You can honestly say you believe in a supreme being. And so long as you have a heart that is inclined towards charitable endeavors, because I'm going to tell you, if you don't have that, you have no place and no business in masonry. And so long as you come and ask to join of your own free will, those truths check a lot of boxes in masonry. Brethren, why did you become a mason? And gentlemen, why aren't you a mason? There's much good to be done in the world. And masons are working hard to do it. What is it that we do? Well, we're builders. We're building better selves. And you can't do it by yourself. You build a better self in the company of your brethren who, like you, are good men aspiring to be better men, building better selves and helping you do the same. You assisting them as they assist you and together making the world around us better. Masonry is a wonderful institution. I love being a mason. It's funny. I did a search recently looking for articles on masonry and I found some pretty crazy things. There's plenty of crazy out there. It's, it's not the business that we're in here. You've been Hank. No, much more interested in making the world better. And my goodness, do masons ever accomplish great good in that regard. We help make the world better. 
And if you want to make the world better and yourself better, if you're a good man who aspires to be a better man, well, there may be a place for you here. You're not going to get recruited, but I don't mind telling you how to put your feet on the path. And that is, if you want to be a Mason, you need to believe in the Supreme Being. You need to have a charitable heart. You need to ask of your own free will somebody that you know is a Mason. Don't hint around. Ask them outright. How do I become a Mason? And when they tell you, if you really want to be one, make it happen. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me, brethren, and those of you who are friendly to the Masonic community. I really appreciate you. If you're my friend, if you're a happy part of the You've Been Hanked community, then in some way you're a part of the Masonic community. Because the fact is, is Masons are a significant stakeholder in the You've Been Hanked community. What about the kids, the boys, the girls, the women? Masonry has a place for them all. The Order of the Eastern Star, the Order of Amaranth, the Demole for the boys, Job's Daughters, and the Rainbow Girls for the girls. Many opportunities exist for everyone within Masonry. You have to be a man to be a Mason. But that doesn't mean that there's not a place for you in the Masonic community. There certainly is. Ladies and young people, there certainly is a place for you in the Masonic community. Thanks again for your time. Much love. Hank, you've been hanked. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked. Thank you.